You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Lauren Oliver, the author of Vanishing Girls and the young adult novels Before I Fall, Panic, and the Delirium Trilogy. She's also the author of two novels for middle grade readers, The Spindlers and Liesl and Poe, which was the 2012 E.B. White Read Aloud Award nominee, and Rooms, published by Echo. Her novel Panic has been optioned for film by Universal Studios, and her work has been translated into more than 30 languages and our New York Times and international best-selling novels. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. The first thing I want to ask you to do is to try to set up Vanishing Girls because it's so deliciously plotted. It's so tight. I want to, I want to give listeners the gist of the book, but I don't want to give anything away. Well, that's the difficult thing. It's, it's, a, it's a difficult book to talk about in some ways. Um, I mean, the basic, the essential premise or heart of the novel um, is the is the relationship between two sisters, Dara and Nick. Um, Nick is the older one. Dara is slightly younger. Um, they, like many sisters, were very in, close when they were younger. And as they grow up and they start to diverge in terms of interests and friends and identities, they begin to have kind of a very complex relationship built on you know, need and um, love and fear and, you know, resentment and all, all those things. Um, anyway, they're, but they're very, very close. And then an accident, a terrible accident, kind of irrevocably damages their relationship, um, separating them from one another. Um, that is overlaid against this, uh, the, the story of a, of a third girl, Madeline Snow, who disappears, a nine-year-old local girl. And, um, the county becomes kind of consumed by the search for Madeline Snow. Um, and they, the two storylines intersect in surprising and revelatory ways. It really is good. <laughs> it, was, it, you, you. it was compulsive. You Thank had, you. You had to keep reading, and I enjoyed yeah. it quite a lot. Now, I've read that um, you said that the, the work has been in existence since mm-hmm. for a long time, since yeah. 2011, under different titles and yeah. varying ways. And, and why why is that, and, and what what happened that allowed you to sort of finish it and bring it forth? Um, I'm not sure what happened. Um, you know, I had started, I was really interested, in about 2011 I started to write a book um, about two sisters who had been, whose relationship had been damaged by, by an accident, and in that case it was a fire. Um, and... I and I actually interestingly I found the pages recently and I, I had set that one partially at a water park. Th- this book, Vanishing Girls, is partly set at a kind of rundown seedy amusement park called Fanland, which was really fun to write about. Um, but that one, you know, it was just kind of interesting that like I kind of had forgotten that, but I guess it obviously had stayed in my subconscious. I just didn't know. There was really no story engine in the previous incarnation. I didn't know exactly what story I was telling and what I wanted to say. Um, and, you know, I don't know exactly what changed, but I figured out um, a way, you know, in 2014, I guess it was, to to make that story of two sisters work. Um, I, I mean, I always wanted to tell... I love sister stories. I have a sister. Um, and why do you, what do you think makes that sister relationship so intense? Well, 
I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I can't speak to what it's like to have brothers, for example, because obviously I'm not a boy and I don't have a brother. But, um, you know, I think to some extent I'm, I'm very interested in the relationship that women have with one another, period. So I tend to write a lot about friendships. Um, my, you know, panic, it was very important to me that actually Heather, who's the protagonist, really be it really actually the book be about unwinding her relationship with her best friend mm-hmm. against whom she's competing um many people think that when when they hear that it's narrated from the perspective of a girl and a boy um that there will be some romantic interest between the two narrators but there isn't um and i really wanted to actually unpack that that kind of like competitive um relationship that Heather and Nat have, you know, Before I Fall is about four girls and their friendship and the ways that it leads them to kind of dysfunction, but also the ways that it is very joyful. Um, And Delirium is as much about losing Lena, the main character, losing her best friend Mm -hmm. as it is about her gaining um, some some kind of love. So, and I think with Sisters that just gets amplified um, and exacerbated. I think that, you know, women are very complex. I think that we experience really nuanced emotional ways of connecting with people and I think that I think that you know love has all of these different dimensions and layers and you know and you see that you you really see that played out in the relationship of of sisters and and even just two women together do you feel that it's sort of inevitable that as sisters grow up there's there's going to be a period where there is sort of a breaking apart and, and eventual coming back together, but yes, but just do, do you think that that's an inevitable part of that uh, relationship? Yes, because I think that you have to do that in order to self-identify. Basically, like in order to separate, in order to develop, I think your own identity. Um, I mean, it's just, it's kind of it's the same thing that teenagers do when they break away from their parents and they have like a you know chaotic and you know often angry adolescence. If they didn't do that, they would probably that's an, actually like built into human ways of, of growing into being your own adult. Otherwise you'd never leave your house. You know, you'd never, you'd live at home forever. Um, and similarly, I think with siblings, especially same sex siblings who from the time that they're born are compared to one another, they often share clothes. Um, there's a weird conflation when you're young of your identity with your siblings. And in order to kind of fully become realized, you have to start setting yourself in opposition to your sibling, um, which requires often kind of radical breaking away. So Um, was your experience that you had a radical breaking away with your sister, or was it more gradual? Um, well, uh, I mean, I was a younger one, so I think she probably broke away from me. Um, my sister and I certainly, from a certain age, began to very, very, uh, severely kind of differentiate ourselves from one another. Um, and I, I see that actually a lot in siblings too, especially siblings that are close in age is that they actually kind of become polarizations of the other one. Mm -hmm. Um, so which still is, it's interesting because it's still in some ways is almost referential. Like it's keeping the other person at their, the center of their orbit, um, even as they desire to move away. Um, so you know, it, it, whatever, it's forces of, like, attraction and, re- and repulsion, so they're trying to, like, repel each other, but at the same time, that means that they're still referencing the, the, that same force, that same bond. Um, anyway, but, so that's kind of interesting. I see that a lot with twins also, mm. um, and that definitely happened with me and my sister. I mean, we're very, very close, but, and I think, you know, we then had to then learn how to be close as different people as right. opposed to as, right. you know, one component of a larger whole. 
And then it changes again. Because mm-hmm. I, I found with my sister, it was one relationship, and then she had children well ahead of me. But then mm-hmm. when I had children, I, I realized, oh, there, you know, she did that so well. I, right. I, I need to come closer to her and, and right. watch and learn from that. You know? Yeah, so yeah, I think yeah. It, Interesting. It, it keeps It does. It, it evolves changing. and changes. Yeah. And I was sure. much closer to my younger sister, but now I yeah, find yeah. I'm much, you know, I'm closer yeah, to her. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. That is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, you really, you don't seem to shy away from these sort of, complicated and I think some people would even say sort of dark issues mm-hmm. in your books, which I would imagine is part of what makes them so mm-hmm. popular is mm-hmm. because I, I think that, that people, you know, when they're sorting those things out on their own, they'd mm-hmm. love a guide like that. But why do you why do you suppose that you're you're so drawn to writing very popular novels, but mm-hmm. ones that have, you know, sort of very serious issues at their core? I mean I you know, I hear this all the time, and it's really interesting, and it really underscores for me that I must have just a different, I must have had a different upbringing or a different conception of the world. Like I hear all the time, you know, with Rooms, I heard like, oh, these characters are incredibly unlikable, was it hard to write? And I felt like, oh, these characters are exactly like everybody I know, you know? Um, and similarly, like, you know, I don't consciously choose to write about dark things, it's just that... Um, that is partly my vision of the world, you know, mm-hmm. that has been those things I've experienced, seen, you know, had gone through or had friends go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never written about anything that felt like, in that sense, I've never written about anything that felt like that much of an imaginative stretch. Um, and, like, I don't know why else you would write books exactly. I mean, a lot of people do write books for other reasons, but I don't know why I would write books otherwise. I mean, I think that you're supposed to be grappling with what the world looks like and what your picture of it is as a writer, and certainly that's why I use writing. It's a way of processing the world and understanding it and understanding why really bad things happen and why people get hurt and how they get hurt and how they can be repaired um, how they end up choosing to hurt themselves. Like, those are all questions that I need to answer for myself, and that's why I write, period. So now, but that's interesting, because you write for such a, a variety of audiences, mm-hmm. right? So you write for the teen audience, you write mm-hmm. for the adult audience, and now you're writing, or you've written for the mm-hmm. the middle grade, that sort of earlier reader. Mm-hmm. And how does that change? Do Are you still writing to that central question, no matter what the age of your audience? Um. I think so, yeah. I think I am. I mean, even, I have a new middle grade series coming out in the fall called Curiosity House, the Shrunken Head, and it's very funny, and it's very, it's a mystery, and it's about four extraordinary children who live in this museum of freaks and oddities, but, you know, halfway through writing that book, I realized I couldn't, and it's, it has a great story engine and all this, and I realized I couldn't really keep writing about it and stay invested unless I was partly answering the question of, you know, I needed to be answering a question of, like, why some people are deemed kind of freaks. Like, what normal, yeah. what yeah. normalcy is, what does that look what like. What labels are. You know, yeah. yeah. And so I need to be able to hook into some kind of central question. And, and that often involves, you know, to me, the questions that are worth asking and answering are questions that, um, you know, are, are about serious things. So, you know, yeah. So So I don't know. I don't know what's serious that isn't also kind of dark. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, I think yeah, those two things are yeah. also <laughs> right. related, you know? And I think that that's what 
that's what readers of any age mm-hmm. are sort of drawn to is that that honesty that sort of like oh yeah I, i'm i'm treating you like you you can acknowledge a bigger issue here than, mm-hmm. than just a really quick you know kind yeah of i wasn't really sheltered when i was growing up from from the way that the world looked and i think that not that people shouldn't be sheltered at all, but, you know, I think one of the great functions of books is that you can explore really scary topics and really difficult things, and it's safe. You don't actually have to go out and experience it. You don't have to be seeing it in front of your face. But you can, like, I don't think of myself ever as writing issue books. It's just that I think of myself as writing real, I mean, even when I'm writing fantasy, I write realistic books. And, mm-hmm. like, realistically in the real world, yeah. some people behave really badly and and some people hurt other people and and some people end up feeling really damaged and broken and you know and some people you know like the, yeah. those are all that's a human experience yeah, it's yeah. a human experience yeah. now as you as you move from these different books for different audiences do you work on one at a time do you move back and forth like I'm curious about Vanishing Girls you said it's from 2000 did you pick it up and put it down a lot or mm. and are you sort of swapping out or do you stay with one one genre at a time I usually write more than two books I, I sorry I write more than one book at a time usually I'm writing two books um and one of them but always in different genres I can't write two books for the same audience or the same kind of story at the same time um you know I work on a book for a while and then I mean I but I only do that I would say once books get to a point where I feel as though I understand them like when I first mm. started writing about sisters I was just trying to unpack that and unpuzzle it and it never kind of I I So you, you were know, just right you weren't writing to plot you hadn't no. figured out at the ending you were no. just sort of saying oh I want to explore this issue or yeah. this idea which was part of the problem in its first incarnation because <laughs> I had no plot um and then it wasn't until, again, like three years later that I kind of saw that, was able to take that early desire and also marry it with a sense of, like, what a narrative would look like. Um, but but when I'm decently far along in a book, so 20 to 30,000 words, I'll often start writing another one, too. Yep. Um, but again, they have to be in very distinct categories. Now, where are you with the screenplay? Um, I just turned in my first draft, so we'll see. And what see. was that like? Um, it was really interesting. It was great. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I'm saying it's great now. I haven't gotten notes back. I'll probably be like, you know, miserable tomorrow. But, um, it was really great. Um, it's completely different experience, obviously. It's really good for me because screenplays basically use dialogue and structure, but mostly structure. And structure is still something that's very hard for me. Um, I'm good at dialogue, but like my real kind of, the, the tools that I fall back on as, as a writer, the tools that I are kind of my like well buffed um in my you know the ones I use the most often are are all ones that have no place in a screenplay yeah, um yeah. so like a lot of description right. and internality right. and use of metaphor and uh basically just like la- you know language that feels evocative um so I couldn't use any of like my patented tricks of the trade so I had to really really think differently um and I think that's good I mean I think that stuff improves you as a writer yeah that 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 sounds fun yeah so all right so you're you're a very young person but you what what how many books have you written what number is is Vanishing Girls well Vanishing Girls is nine Curiosity House the Shrunken Head is ten that comes out this fall but I've actually written completed and have slated for publication I think 16 wow yeah all right so now looking back so uh, there's I always try to talk to the author as the 
author, as the writer, and then the person getting published. Because mm-hmm. I'm really curious yeah. about the two the differences. Because you yeah. finish it, now you're being published. So what was what was the most surprising thing about being published the first time? And now what is what is the most surprising thing? As you, you know, you're on you know double digits. Mm-hmm. Sort of what has changed in that experience? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, to some extent, I think it's surprising that like you always feel the same degree of insecurity and, um, you know, difficulty around surrounding publications. If anything, I think it somewhat grows worse. Um, really? yeah. Yeah. Cause then there's expectations as uh, well. Yeah. 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 yeah um, to, live up to your past success. Yeah. I mean, the most surprising thing about being published the first time was that like, I actually was successful at it. I mean, that was like incredibly shocking. Um, I mean, it's still shocking to some extent. Um, but the thing now, I think, you know, the, the surprising thing now is, and this is true of the writing as well, like it doesn't actually get any easier. Mm. Um, and for writing, I think that's because the better you get, the harder the things you try to do are. Mm. So you're always kind of, I feel as though I'm always trying to write a book that's slightly out of my, out of my, um, grasp. grasp, Yeah. yeah. yeah, My reach, my abilities. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm glad, though, to hear you say that, um, you know, it's important to differentiate the writing from the publishing. I think one of the things that you have to do and learn to do, which was also not true when I first started publishing, when I would, like, you know, Google my name all the time and, and read reviews, you have to actually really learn as a writer to differentiate those two things. Um yeah. Both because it's unhealthy not to, but also because publishing doesn't actually, it's only, it is there is a correlation between how you write and how you publish, but like it's not a causal one and it's kind of only related in an ancillary capacity. And if you want to get better as a writer and you also want to preserve the joy around writing, you have to be able to you have to be able to separate the two. Yeah, that's interesting. I think I'm sensitive to that because I'm on this other side. you know mm. I, I can only imagine what what's going on on your side. Yeah. But I can I can just see the differences. And, yeah. And I, I think each side wants to behave honorably and do the best they can, you know, sort of for mm-hmm. each other. But it's always sort of a delicate balance, isn't yep. it? Yep, absolutely. It, with every single publication, no matter how many times you've gone through it, you absolutely. know, before. Yeah. No, definitely. One yeah. question I forgot to ask you as a writer, because I ask this to everybody. Who, who are some, who are your first readers? My first readers? Oh, um. Like, you know, when you're, when you're working. Yeah, um. Well, I tend to, well, my agent, really. I mean, honestly, yeah, yeah, I tend not to really show anybody anything until it's finished. I mean, my agent sometimes, like, he'll read something. Basically, my agent reads usually when I'm about 20,000 words in, and then if, I mean, it's never happened that he said stop, but um, sometimes he has And that's one of the first people you hand it to? Yeah. I never hear that. Really? I don't think I've heard that once. It's so funny. We're so close, though. I talk to him every day. That's really sweet. Yeah, he's, like, really become, he's basically, like, the other part of my brain. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, no, I mean, and then I just write it. Um, And then after that, I'll definitely talk about it. I talk about about sticky plot points with my business partner a lot um, and, and, and my boyfriend and my dad, too. And then probably after it's done, a draft is done. My father, you know, when it goes to then, like, my agent, my father, and uh, my editor. Okay. You know? That's interesting. Tell us briefly about your work, because I think this is sort of similar to working on books and then screenplays, and, and your work with Paper Lantern mm-hmm. and the efforts that you make around books there. Yeah. So um, Paper Lantern started initially as uh, originally what we did was, was kind of 
simple. Um, we kind of built stories and then helped new writers. Because, I mean, that was one of my frustrations when I graduated from my MFA program is that I had learned all of these things, had studied for years about, you know, the craft of writing, but I'd never learned anything about narrative. Um, so we kind of saw Paper Lantern as this way of stepping in to fill that gap. We would take young, talented writers and help teach them how to write a story. And then so we would, you know, help them plot a story and write it, and then we'd sell it back to publishers. Now we do several things. We do that still. We also have an online – we actually are publishers ourselves in the in the sense that we have an e-only imprint. Um, so we publish original ideas there. We – you know, republish, self-publish work if we love it um, after editing it and, you know, giving marketing support. Um, and, you know, we're we're always kind of looking into new collaborations and new companies. It's really fun. Um, it's a really small company. We're six people, which means that we can really be very – we can respond really quickly to changes in the market and to also just new initiatives that we want to try. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I get to work with writers. I get to develop ideas. Um, and, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a lot of work, but, yeah. All right, and I want to ask you just a few questions yeah. about you as a reader. Okay. So what was the last book you had a conversation about, and what did you say? Oh, well, I had two conversations yesterday about two books, that one of which I'm in progress um, I'm reading Jonathan Lethem's first book, Girl. Um, no, it's Guns with Occasional Music. Gun mm, with Occasional yeah, Music. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. And I was saying that for some reason, it's like the exact kind of, this is like the important of, importance of booksellers that algorithms can never, ever compete with. Because it it's a book that is a riff on noir, but it takes place in a futuristic San Francisco where people are addicted to snorting drugs called, like, avoid all and forget all. And the animals are all evolved. So, for example, the main character has in the last scene was threatened by a kangaroo wearing, like, trench coat and holding a gun. And I was, like, I said to one of our employees, I was, like, this is your ideal book. And she absolutely said that, I mean, it will, she'll love it. But, like, how would you yeah, algorithmically would you recommend that, that yeah. to somebody? Anyway, so that, and then I also just finished reading Girl on a Train. Oh. And I was saying that I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And that the twist was exciting. Yeah, that, that seems like a good book for you to read right yeah. now as you're about to publish. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, now if you had to recommend a book to a 13-year-old boy, and I have to ask you not to recommend one of yours. Of course. too easy. Yeah. Um, thirteen-year-old boy, Adam Gidwitz books. Oh, yeah, he's great. I really love his books. I think a thirteen-year-old. It depends on the level of the reader, obviously, but um, but I really love the his brothers Grimm or the Tale Dark and Grimm series. Yeah, yeah. All right, now last question: If you knew you were to be banished to a desert island and you could take three books, what would you take? Um, it can't be a whole series, right? Well, you can count for holes. You can count a series. Okay. Harry well. Potter series. Okay. I love it. <laughs> That's a good um, Probably uh, 100 Years of Solitude. And then, just so I would never run out of reading material, I would take Proust. Yeah. <laughs> Remembrances of Things Past and all of And I would spend the rest of my life going through it line by line by line. Thank you so very much for your yeah. time. I really enjoyed it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi. And this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. 
We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.